Hello, Screeters. So, we talked about GM as entertainer. And uh, it was my vehement opinion that uh, GM is not an entertainer. And he's only vaguely a storyteller. But I think this is about style of games and everyone has their own and uh, there isn't one that's necessarily better or worse than the other Um, in my particular style I like to run a procedural game and be an unbiased participant so I'm not uh, the game itself while I may play the adversaries and the, and the like, I am not an adversarial GM where it's me versus them. In fact, I am the player's biggest fan. The question is, is it sometimes less fun in a game like that if you're not being entertainer or storyteller? I don't know. I do know today is Wednesday, March 27th, 2019. I am Jason Hobbs, and this is Random Screed. If he is up or down, his podcast still comes round. Hobbs is in his van. Don't turn off that sad nap man. Random Screed, Random Screed. Don't know what you get, but it's what you need. Hello, this is Carl Rodriguez from Scientists Who Game. That's going to be my new feature podcast, I hope, maybe in the next month or so. Anyway, I stand corrected. Um, I guess 5e, like people have said, is not a story game, but does have some story-ish elements based on a traditional chassis, perhaps. So I guess more using traditional, if I were to use like a hex crawl in Fate that could be cool or there's a lot of these other games which interesting so this is a category right so like these games like these modifious 2d20 games conan star trek etc they do have like fate points so does that make it a story game even though they use kind of a you know traditional dice pool type of thing to get successes or is numenera a story game because it is player facing right the gm never makes a role and only does his little gm intrusions which the player can or cannot accept that's a cipher system i guess as a general system for numenera who by the way is doing like a 5e thing so i guess everyone's jumping on the bandwagon but i'm sure that's another topic for later discussion anyway maybe i'll do that maybe i'll try to figure out a way to eric hoffman and hex crawl guys type of fate game all right but anyway, I got too many ideas. Like you always tell me, I should focus on one. So focusing on Broken Lands, and hopefully it's continuing to get better and better. All right, take care. There you have Carl Rodriguez, who sounds like he is going to do his own show, Scientists Who Game. That almost sounds as wonderful as Gaming Academists. I'm just kidding. I'm sure it would be great. I've been gaming with Carl for a decade, so... Uh, a really good gaming mind, fun GM, uh, good, entertaining, motivated player. 
as far as categories in general there's exclusions to all of them no categorization is made perfectly because people keep on making different games uh, that are doing different things because they're trying to do something new right so it makes sense that they would defy categories and maybe that's uh, an argument for no reason to have them for me, all it's really for is a shorthand for talking about games with other gamers um, in a way that maybe we can bypass uh, some added words and get to the heart of the matter. But it doesn't really seem like that's working anyhow if you constantly have to redefine your terms. And, uh, you know, that's cool. That's all good information and good knowledge to find. So <coughs> I see no reason why you can't use any game you want and run a hex crawl. And uh, it could be good. I mean, you just need uh, motivated players and a motivated GM, and you can probably make anything work. Uh, there might be a point where I would ask myself, why? Why do I need to do this? Is it because those people only want to play these types of games, and this is the type of game that I want to run as a GM? That seems legitimate. Um, but if it's just to do it to do it, for me... There's already, uh, maybe, I, I was about to say there's already more than enough games that I wouldn't want to bother, but maybe that's the way to do it. Maybe that's the way to get people who like more of a sandbox game to play these games. So maybe it isn't a GM choice, maybe it's a group choice. Either way, keep on calling in, keep on gaming, and keep on being Carl. Thanks, Carl. Have a good one. Hey, Jason. I uh, sure hope clerics don't suck in BX because I'm playing one. But uh, does that mean I can start trying to just turn uh, random things? Or is there some kind of weird eeriness that it gives off to let you know they might be susceptible to a turning um, in a uh, BX game that you're running? Or is that something that's just random as far as how you determine that? And there is Larry Hout, call-in extraordinaire to many different shows. Thanks for calling in, Larry. And I would say yes. Why not, uh, especially in the Western lands where the majority of the religion boils down to the Church of Ta and the Church of Ta Reformed. There are older religions and uh, whispered to be among the mainland and the early people, the Corvassi. Um, but, I mean, I think that's almost classic. What is the difference between demons and vampires and zombies and skeletons um, and extraterrestrial outlanders. Why shouldn't they be affected by the tower of power of true believers? So in that particular game, I don't think the cleric had any thought whatsoever. In fact, I don't even think a cleric was a player character. He was a henchman. So the player who had hired that cleric had any thought of trying to turn because as soon as you name them surges which I didn't do the players did then you automatically have thoughts and feelings about what surges are because of your experience as a player which in some ways is unfortunate because it isn't always applicable and that's one of the arguments about good vanilla versus remaking the monsters and reskinning them uh, that I've had with the Hoff in the past 
uh, this concept that you're removing player mastery when you're using stuff that isn't in you know the bx monster list that everyone is so familiar with you're removing that experience that they've had as everything uh it's a two-edged sword which is better knowing what all the monsters are and what their weaknesses are and coming up with new interesting manners of using them or everything has a new feel because you don't know what it's gonna do i don't know it's a balance like many other things um i obviously fall on the i don't want players to know what's going on because i'm a huge fan of exploration and so i love exploring this idea of new monsters and trying to keep them consistent for a setting and giving it all more various missilitude or gravitas than it otherwise may have uh, with a fantasy vanilla, even if it's good vanilla. So there you go. I would say try and figure it out as a player. And if you're having trouble, ask questions. You know, I'm responsible as a GM for adjudicating and being players' senses. So if you can't figure it out through that, then maybe you won't be able to. Or you just try and see. The problem with trying and seeing, I think, is the concept that if I roll the dice as a GM and you don't know if you passed or failed, then you don't know if you know your power just wasn't strong enough, your belief at that moment, or if you just can't do it, right? So I understand, and I think it's something that you work out during play, and you'll figure it out, Larry. I have faith in you, brother. Hey, Jason, it's me. Um, Playing to see what happens is a principle in Dungeon World. And emergent play is something we hear talked about with something like BX. Now, I see a lot of similarities there. In the first, you might be playing the game and asking characters questions. In the second, you might be playing the game rolling some random tables or doing some random character generation. But I believe there's an interesting parallel there. From the DM's point of view, it's emergent play and playing to see what happens. I see a commonality. And for me, the commonality is I run a game, I want to be surprised by what happens at the table. I don't want it all planned out. So both of those techniques can achieve that for me. So I have no trouble mashing them together. And there is me, the troll from Spike Pit, Colin Green. Thanks for calling in, Colin. And uh, it's interesting that you should say that because I did a whole show in Hobbs and Friends uh, concerning the, uh, I wouldn't say parallels, uh, between the spectrum of the far end of story games and the far end of trad games where it's not really a line but more of a horseshoe. So the farther you get to the end and the closer you are to the middle, the closer the games feel to each other. And it's just like somewhere off in the middle where, you know, you're running certain types of trad games or certain types of story games that there's really a big difference between the type of games you're playing. So a guy who's wanting to play a fantasy game, find out at the table, emergent type story play, can do that with a story game. They can do it with a trad game. I have never said they couldn't. All I was talking about is this idea of uh, 
talking about games and ways of talking of the, about them that makes discussing them easier. Um, but I really think that uh, the far ends of that spectrum are very close together, which is why the horseshoe concept was used to uh, as an analogy uh, or a metaphor for that idea. So I'm with you, man. I'm not positive what commonality even means. I like the way you say it, though. Keep on calling in and keep on being you, brother. Hey, Jason. Tim Shorts of Gothridge Manor here. Anchor's been messing with me lately. Stupid thing keeps on favoring things. You and Tankar and a few others I just noticed I wasn't getting updates for it and I had to go re-favor you guys. Story games, I've never played in one. I've had Dungeon World for uh, when since it came out as a cool little gift from Tim Knight back in the day. But I've never had the chance to play it. I know I've uh, kind of mentioned it to Ray Otis months and months ago but never followed up on playing it so i'm kind of curious to see how it works because like you said there's always tools there that you can put in your toolbox you know are you going to use the philosophy through your whole game like if like with me with bx no but there's definitely some tools i'm sure that would become in handy that you i could use in a game so all right brother we'll see you tonight actually and we'll talk soon tim shorts from gothridge manor Apparently the best husband ever. Thanks for calling in, Tim. And uh, I did play in Comer Forest with my Comatori, Valnan, and uh, his henchman, Philibert Rumble. Always a good time playing those guys, even if I had to share uh, (laughs) with some of those other Grognardi players that you had there. As far as tools and story games and playing a game with Ray Otis... I am totally in, totally and completely. I have played Dungeon World, and I would say it's been, uh, my experience was a mixed bag. I think in the right situation, I would love it. Um, In the situations I played in, it was okay. Uh, One was kind of bad, and one was okay. Um, I don't know what else to say about it. I do think I should comment briefly on this idea of uh, layers of play. Normally in a trad game, you are in the immersed character layer. Everything you do, you do through the lens of your character. Occasionally, you have to step up a layer and become a player. And that's when you're stepping out of the game to look up a rule or find some annotation on your character sheet or doing whatever you're doing that isn't really seeing or playing the game as a character but doing it as a player so story games quote unquote also have a whole nother layer that you use which isn't used as often in trad games raw or rules as written which is writer you're stepping out of the character into the player and beyond even the character sheet and now you're becoming a writer talking about how the setting is or as I've mentioned in the past narrative control is now yours where previously the GM was mostly writer so yeah man use whatever you want to use play the game you want to play I'm never going to say you're doing it wrong ever And if I do, I was wrong.
Hey Jason, J.E. Shields, continuing from earlier, about kids on bikes. Um, I know you said that um, uh, you don't really want to play a, a kid, but but this is a type of game that um, uh, you wouldn't, one, it's already built in that you can play a teen, you can play an adult, but I could easily see this as a type of game to play, you know, X-Files um, or, or something similar like, like that. Um, I think that kids in, on bikes actually is, is a, is a, interesting blend of uh, both traditional and story. Um, you have your main character, there's conflict resolution uh, in it with the dice, but there's also a uh, elements for you to kind of take control of the narration. There's a, there's a shared character who is the powered character. Hold on, uh, uh, I'm going to have to pause here. So in kids on bikes, there's a there there's an element uh, where there's a uh, a powered character that everybody shares an aspect of, and so they might get a a card or something that indicates what aspect of that character that they get to uh, uh, have control over. And so uh, you think of the Goonies, you think of E.T., uh, even Stranger. Stranger Things each have a powered character, and in the game, um, you might can one player might control. Um, a personality aspect, maybe uh, afraid of dogs or outgoing uh, or whatnot, um, or they might share a power. And so, whenever um, they, whenever the player or even another another player thinks that the character would use that ability, they can turn that card to give control to that player for that portion of it. To be honest, um, oh, I'll look look a third one. Hold on. To be honest, uh, I'm not sure how I feel about it yet. Um, as a game master, I like to drive the story, and I'm not sure how well even my, my family or people that I play with uh, are going to be able to grasp onto that shared character concept. I like the idea in that it kind of ties in everybody to the story, but I don't think, I'm not sure how it's going to execute well. Uh, but as far as a, a good idea, uh, sorry, a good example of a story game, a pure story game, uh, look at Good Society. It emulates um, the Jane Austen stories, and to be honest, you can't, uh, you could not gain the feel of a Jane Austen movie from a traditional game mechanic. Uh, you really need the uh, the whole story game mechanic to to pull that off well. Um, all right, well, I've gone on long enough. I hope uh, this is some good input for you. All right, talk to you later. This interlude concerning games on bikes was brought to you by J.E. Shields. Amazing Grace. Ah, I can't remember the name of your podcast, J.E., but uh, there's a little humor for you. I appreciate the call-in and the uh, expansive extrapolation concerning kids on bikes. It sounds interesting. Like I've said many times, I wants to play all the games. If I had to be a kid on a bike, I guess I would do it. I especially liked your interest in uh, the person with powers. The initial reaction for me is, I don't know if I've ever watched The Goonies. I think I'm just old enough that The Goonies wasn't cool for me as it was for people who are a few years younger than I am. Either way, keep on don't going with your podcast and keep on listening to Random Screed and calling in, man. I really appreciate it. Uh, it was great meeting you at North Texas, and uh, let's do it again like we did last summer. 
Hey Jason, Che, thanks for your cut-off reply. Um, if you're asking me, don't I listen or read other stuff? Yeah, of course I do. I've come across the term story games many times, but you know what? Haven't come across a definitive definition. Yours is probably quite close. I mean, it's quite helpful. And in which case, I use various story game things. Um, I ask questions at the table, but you know what? I've been doing that since way before the term story game arrived. Um, and I give narrative control to my players from time to time. I don't mechanicalize it very much. I don't see the point. I just kind of like say to them, well, you know, how do you know that? Or, um, you know, who do you know? Tell me someone you know and that sort of stuff. And it just engages the players and makes my life a little easier as a GM. So I guess I do that stuff. Hope that helps. Bye. Anytime I'm getting a call from Che Webster of Roleplay Rescue, it helps. In fact, I feel like I should apologize. Maybe I came on too strong. I wasn't trying to say that you don't read or play any games. What I was trying to do is intimate that you should listen to all of the random Screed episodes. And then I laughed at uh, the ludicrousosity of that. See this? I like how we're going back and forth and making up words. Love it. And thanks, man, for calling in. Seriously. I really appreciate it. I think the call-ins are what make anchor shows anchor shows. Uh, but not everyone is really doing an anchor show. Some people are just using anchor as a platform to do their really good and well uh, manicured podcast like Roleplay Rescue. Seriously, man, I appreciate you calling in. I'm really um, humbled that you listen. And I want to play in your game, man. What do I got to do? I want to see how you run basic uh, fantasy RPG. I, too, was a lapsed gamer at some point in my life. And uh, I'm always down with playing with other people. And you have an invitation to game with me whenever you'd like. So let's set it up, brother. Hey, Jason. It's Logan. I'm like you in that I'll borrow stuff from anywhere and use it in my game if I think that'll make the experience better. I personally disagree about the narrative control thing. That element is definitely present in a lot of story games, but I don't think that's the defining feature. Honestly, I think it's about as fuzzy as other overarching RPG descriptors. I think story game as a term is only useful as a way to indicate that everyone sitting down to that game should expect the fiction to come first and things that offer mechanical assurances to players not to be considered much at all. In other words, when a story game designer starts playtesting their game, the question they have is, what kind of stories do these rules produce, rather than, is this balanced so that the players feel like they're getting a fair shot compared with the other players? And that was Logan Howard of Swordbreaker. Thank you so much for calling in, Logan. And I would say your definition is edging away from story game and into indie game where I feel like the exact type of story they're trying to tell with indie games is very uh, narrow and super, super focused. It's not a uh, generic role-playing system that exists exists is the wrong word that shifts narrative control between people to facilitate a certain type of play as opposed to a very focused story so when you talk about the powered by the apocalypse engine 
the, that is a story game engine, but there are many indie games that are built with the Apocalypse engine that are doing very, very, very focused stories. Um, and I know that maybe that's pretty nuanced and very subjective, um, but hey, I guess this is an opinion piece, so I might as well be opinionated. Uh, honestly, your points were very salient, uh, well-spoken, and pretty awesome. This whole show was full of great call-ins, and yours was a wonderful end cap on it. So I really appreciate you calling in, and uh, I like the way you think and speak, and I'd like to subscribe to your newsletter. So thanks, Logan. Talk to you soon. All right, Screeters, this show has gotten extremely long because I was infinitely lucky and uh, favored by the Screeters with tons of call-ins, great call-ins, great conversation, and I really appreciate that. But I still want to take a little bit of time and talk about a main topic and give you fodder for more call-ins. So, as uh, Colin mentioned, I am a proponent of using random encounters and random tables to create emergent play. So I don't have a ton of pre-crafted locations for uh, players to check out uh, until I pretty much ask them, hey, where are you going? And then I'll kind of create it. But a lot of the play stems from exploration of the setting, and that is using random tables. I'm not arbitrarily bringing up oh, man, nothing's happened for a while, so I better bring up a monster. No, because um, the keep going until you can't go anymore, that type of cat and mouse play is integral to old school hex crawl, especially a West Marches game. And so by just adding a random encounter of my own volition, just because I feel like it needs it and to help pacing, I think can be a detriment or a punitive type of action towards the players, which I think is bad form. So if I am going to be an arbiter or a judge or I am going to unbiasedly referee the game as opposed to a storyteller that's trying to craft a specific pacing then I should not add encounters just for an encounter's sake. So I've seen this a couple times in the last couple of months. One time it was in Kevin Madison's Barrel Maze game, which he attempts to use a a procedurally generated uh, session, and nothing really happened during the session. And last night in the Kalmata game, the... uh, the goals were a little vague of what the characters and the caller had in mind. They were uh, investigating and exploring more of Scourge Island. They had uh, discovered two locations there previously. I didn't really expect them to return to those locations, but they did. And unfortunately, um, my uh, repopulating rules and procedures did not repopulate anything. 
there were a couple things to see, but that was it. And so really the session, uh, there were a couple encounters, but the characters fled from them as opposed to interacting in any way. And I mean, the rules are certainly there for that. And I don't blame them. Uh, I think they were cool and tense moments in the session, uh, in a session that otherwise was relatively uneventful. I mean, there were three encounters, which were cool. And like I mentioned, pretty, uh, they had some tension and some intensity and there were things to be learned about the setting. So they were properly exploratory, but you know, I don't know how fun it was. And it makes me wonder, am I wrong? Are you guys finding this when you, uh, when you meaning all of us as GMs and maybe even designers and, uh, uh, arbiters when we run games and we're using a procedurally generated uh, system do you try and control pacing in a way that allows you to fudge dice on this and I can see both ways I'm not saying there's one right way or one wrong way or there's bad wrong fun involved I'm just curious what you think about it if I could have any of the players call in and give me their endpoint. yeah it was boring hey it wasn't boring I liked the way that it went down, even though, you know, you could say nothing happened, quote unquote. But anyway, that's it. I want to find out what you guys think. Thanks again for all the call-ins. Great, great interaction and feedback from the screeders. And I love that. So thanks, guys. And you know what I say, it's better to burn out than to fade away.